So welcome back to Blended. I am joined by a new group of incredible professionals from around the globe. And today we're talking about disability. Now the subject of disability has come up in other shows, particularly when we've talked about rights or discrimination. But sometimes we are all guilty of talking broadly and lumping everybody together. So we say there's a policy that covers women, LGBTQIA+, disability, race, religion, but we know that these sweeping statements don't work. Everybody is different, their needs are different, and so we need to make sure we're breaking it all down and talking about things on an issue-by-issue, person-by-person level. So of course, disability needs its own show. And welcome to Claudia, Scott, Prakash, Doug, and Victor, who are going to help us break it all down today. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Let's get started with some introductions. So can each of you tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Uh, Scott, I'm going to start with you first. Okay, absolutely. My name is Scott Thornhill, and Sarah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me here. I am the Director of Public Policy for Alpha Point, uh, and we are a, a nonprofit organization with the mission of empowering people who are blind through opportunities for employment and personal development. And um, I am a uh, gray-haired, 50-year-old Caucasian male uh, who happens to also be blind. Um, and I have a wonderful wife of almost 27 years, Jane, and we have one son uh, who is currently a sophomore in college uh, and a, a labradoodle named Chloe. Um, and um, I've done several different things professionally. I have retinitis pigmentosa, uh, and that has uh, had me lose my vision over time. So what I've done professionally has sort of changed, um, but that's who I am. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott, and glad that you are here. Claudia, over to you. Hey everyone, great to be with you. I'm Claudia Knowlton Chike, and I am the Senior Director of Global Logistics at Google, driving transformation and logistics systems and processes across Google and parts of Alphabet. And I also serve as the DEI Executive Champion for the Supply Chain and Fulfillment. I started as an engineer at IBM about 40 years ago and then flipped over to supply chain and I never looked back. Um, how I identify, let me start by saying I'm not a single story. Um, I'm a cowgirl at heart. I identify as a woman and as a daughter and as a wife and as a, uh, to a most wonderful man of almost 40 years uh, that uh, came from Nigeria. And as a mother to four beautiful children and a Grammy to 11, almost 12 uh, grandchildren. As a sister, I've got four siblings and also as a career woman. And I also identify as an ally um, pretty much all my life. I have been driving for a world that works for all um, where everyone can succeed, contribute, advance, and grow. And I think growing up very close to my deaf sister provided an opportunity for me to see firsthand the challenges that those with disabilities, whether they're visible or invisible, have. So thanks again, Sarah, for having me today. I'm so glad you're back. You can catch Claudia on a couple of different episodes of Let's Talk Supply Chain. So I'm just so glad that you could join us today. Doug, over to you. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. I, I echo everyone else's comments on um, the invitation because it is, it's a huge topic and it's very um, Doug Goist, I'm a program manager uh, in workforce development for a startup nonprofit called Nsight, and that is N-S-I-T-E. And so our tagline is where talent meets opportunity. So our big goal is to uh, assist blind and visually impaired job seekers in finding professional high-paying jobs or, or jobs that will get them on that track and working with companies as well to help them populate their workforce with a really skilled, intelligent, capable uh, workforce. Um, I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which is on the Potomac River right across from Washington, DC. And essentially um, I identify obviously as, well, maybe not obviously since people can't see me, but as blind, and that was not always something that was easy for me to say because I had 20-20 vision for uh, my young adult years, and then I lost my vision very rapidly through uh, retinal degeneration. So um, I can now say that I am blind, and so and I'm not cautious or, sh or ashamed or anything like that about it. And I encourage people that are, are going through the same thing that there is there is a rainbow at the end and you can, you can get through this and you can, you can really succeed. And so the things that are important to me are my, my family, my, my, I love my parents dearly and my brother and sister. I have four beautiful, amazing nieces that are all very accomplished. And um, I guess a little odd fact about me is I play goalie for a, for the national blind hockey team. So uh, part of team USA and we're working to get better so we can one day beat Team Canada. But, you know, I'm the senior on the team, but I primarily do it because we have kids coming out six, seven, eight years old with, with, legal, with vision impairments and blindness. And I'm there really to show them that, hey, you know, even if you just want to get a, give it something different a try, um, there's really nothing that you can't accomplish. And it's actually very healthy because it gets kids physically active, because as we know, when you have disability, sometimes you can become sedentary. And so mm -hmm. it's really, it's really good to get your, your body moving and, and, and it helps your, your mental outlook on life and emotional as well. So thank you. Absolutely. And I appreciate you being here. And we, we might uh, talk a little bit more about uh, being a goalie a little bit later on in the discussion. Prakash, why don't you introduce yourself? I know you, I think you're on episode one of Blended. So it's been a while. It's been a very long time. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me yet again. Uh, so I'm Prakash, based in the UK, uh, work in the logistics and supply chain industry. There's no surprise there. Uh, and outside of, of my work, uh, I'm also the founder and creator of uh, a foundation in the UK called the Official This Is Me, which really looks at what it's like to be a carer. Uh, so for myself, I've got two siblings with uh, variances of uh, different uh, disabilities, both uh, nonverbal, and it's highlighting exactly what a carer would potentially go through like anyone we've got our good days our bad days are different and and within the video that got released we we're fortunate enough to win uh, multiple uh, international awards which we're still pinching ourselves about because we never thought it even possible uh but we'll go into more of that later and 
So what we do predominantly now is we, we uh, offer workshops to, to companies as well as individuals or communities so they can get a better grasp on what it's like to be a carer because there's a lot of uh, taboo conversations within that where people are skeptical to ask or they're, they're not sure how to approach it. So it's, it's having those conversations, and especially with organizations now where the buzzword is of mental health and are you okay? And it's, it's supporting organizations and businesses from very small to uh, quite large international companies to be able to take a section of their, their company and, and work with the individuals there and say, look, how do you empower or how do you support someone in the organization or outside the organization who potentially is a carer? Yeah. Uh, caring can show up in, in a realm of different uh, different narratives, but I'm sure we'll go into that later. And then outside of that, I am a diehard uh, cricket fan, being originally from uh, South India, or ancestrally. And yeah, just an overall global junkie who loves to travel and loves sports and especially food. I love that. Though Thanks my waistline so doesn't show it. <laughs> well, we're on Zoom. I mean, in person, I don't know. Um, Victor, are you there? There we go. Victor, can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Okay. I'm uh, Victor Gaskell. I'm a, I identify myself as an Indigenous man. I'm also Francophone. I am 63 years old, and uh, my partner and I uh, adopted a young boy with severe cerebral palsy um, at the age of seven, which was 35 years ago, uh, prior to the human rights changing and allowing people uh, with who are gay in adopting. So it was quite the fight. Um, and I've mostly, my formation has been mostly in uh, with disability issues as a consultant and also as a literacy practitioner for adults and mostly for adults who had uh, significant disabilities around uh, reading and writing and uh, mobility and uh, communication aids. Um, I volunteer my time. Now I'm retired and I volunteer my time with the Ontario Federation for Cerebral. Uh, I was the past president and uh, I am now the president for the uh, uh, clothing pickup for cerebral palsy here in Toronto. Um, and I also volunteered my time with the Centre for Independent Living in Toronto, sitting on their board of directors. So, awesome. Um, I consider myself a very strong advocate for people with cerebral palsy. I find that people with cerebral palsy are often um, at great risk of, uh, are actually at great risk because often people with cerebral palsy are left with no communication and are not able to communicate. So it puts them at a very big disadvantage and puts them at high risk of being neglected or abused or, or forgotten. And uh, my son, even though Bill has, you know, severe cerebral palsy, he's the fortunate one. He lives at home with us. He's okay. And so I, the reason I, I volunteer my time is to help those that are not living at home, who are living in group homes, who are living in institutions, and who need representation. And so it's spent an awful lot of time. Uh, right now, mostly as president for the um, clothing pickup for cerebral palsy, uh, trying to raise more funds for the charity. Mm -hmm. And so and I guess that's that's about it. 
Awesome. Well, we're really excited that you're here and it is now time to get started on this conversation. And I'd like to start by talking about the word itself. The more, the, the more that we talk, the more we realize that words matter, matter and the language that we use matters. So what does the word disability mean to you? Uh, Doug, do you want to, do you want to get us started on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think everyone will probably have similar responses. Um, I have, as I had mentioned, so I've been blind for 20 years and have, have seen the, the, the tug of war, the push and pull maybe a little bit of kind of how, how to say a disability or how to, how to describe it and so forth. So um, I think it's an important, a definite improvement over prior to that it was handicapped. Um, so what it what it means to me is it's it's not a negative. Um, it's a feature, not a bug. In other words, uh, it's we're all we all have our own abilities. So whether somebody wants to say somebody is differently abled, which I'm not a fan of, because uh, we all have different uh, different abilities and disabilities means that perhaps that you have something a little bit different than somebody else who doesn't have a disability, but it's not a pejorative. I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that is necessarily negative. And I think it all depends on the two sides, the person with the disability and the person without the disability to understand that it's just a, uh, a placeholder. It's not a label. It's not anything uh, that we should really dwell upon or focus upon, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely does make sense. Prakash, did you want to jump in on that word? Yeah, I think uh, similar to what has just been said. So for me, when I hear the word disability as collectively on its own, it's, are we able to do everything in life that life gives us? I can't sing. I've tried. I'm only a bathroom singer and I stay in the bathroom as a singer. But to other people, is that class as being disabled? Or is that just someone who's not able to do it? So for me, there's a very fine line of actually stating what is disabled and what is not being able to do it. Because again, circumstances are, we're all different. We all have our own narratives and our own background. So disability is a very broad statement which actually disempowers a lot a lot of people who who may associate themselves with it or who are ostracized to be classed as disabled i know within a school network uh, conversations that i've had there are people who have maybe been a slow learner from a young age and because of one narrative or one test they're classed as disabled so they go into a disabled school or a disabled class now, once you're in there, it's hard to come out of it because you have that label on. And for some reason, the human nature is, is insistent on labels. We love labels. You are this, you are that, you work here, you work that. But why can't you just be a human, whatever your background, whatever your mm. ability may or may not be? And that's something I really stand for. So disability for me, it's, it's just a word. 
Yeah, and let me take that one step further, right? Because we've heard of people with disabilities, we've heard disabled person, we're now hearing people using the word accessible rather than disabled. For example, accessible parking space, for example. Um, Scott, you know, what does that word mean to you? What words should we be using? Yeah, Sarah, that is a, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I tend on disability to just kind of utilize what has been sort of a historical definition of the word. You know, it's, it's one or more sort of senses or major functions of life that are impaired in some way, be that physical or, or mental. And there's so many different ways it can be interpreted and that people use it in their own lives or don't use it. Um, you know, there is the, uh, the people first aspect of, of, you know, a person who is disabled and, and, you know, now there's, there's a lot of folks who um, in the disabled community, if we want to call it that, there are a lot of folks who are not fond of, of that language because mm -hmm. they want to be proud of their disability and, 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 you know, proud of who they are. And so, they don't want to sort of try to hide it behind other other words or, you know, what that's the interpretation of that. But um, I think accessible, uh, it's a word we use a lot at Alpha Point. It's a word that I think is um, a bit more uh, certainly descriptive of what we're looking for. And, and, and we get into things like universal design and, and all of that so that it's something where everyone can benefit. You know, we look at uh, we look at things like the, the, the curb cutouts that people are, are fond of talking about. Originally, you know, you're looking at that maybe for the population that uses wheelchairs. Well, now people love to roll their suitcases down the curb cutouts and their baby strollers down the curb cutouts. And voice to text, you know, was originally uh, for folks who are visually impaired, but now tons of people use voice texting and, and that sort of thing. And so I think... Um, there are words we need to use just to be sort of just to have some some definitions on things, but um, it, it doesn't define as the bigger uh, sort of concept of defining. It doesn't define who that individual is. Being blind is a part of who I am. And so I do have a disability uh, as, as in my eyes don't work, um, but it doesn't mean that that defines who I am as an individual. Mm, I love that. Victor, did you want to jump in here? Sure. Um, well, I, I mean, like disability is a label and, and I agree with everything that's being said right now. And, um, and I know that often um, when I worked in literacy, um, having a learning disability was more of a hindrance than it was uh, helpful because often people used it as a crutch and saying, well, I can't do this because I have a learning disability. Right. And so and so my attitude was always, well, let's figure out a way to get around that and so that you can do things your own way. And so and that seemed to help a lot. Like I, I'm not a big fan of labels, but unfortunately, I know that when I'm after funding for my own son, the labels have to come out. Right. And when I know I referred to my son as someone with severe cerebral palsy and because uh, Bill has cerebral palsy, in all of the years that I've been involved with people with cerebral palsy, it's probably the most severe case of cerebral palsy I've ever seen in a person. He is so restricted, like the, his only communication is a, a little movement of his eyes to the left mm. to, to identify a yes, and that's it. And so you really need to know my son to be able to read what he wants to say. So like the questions, it's a matter of becoming accessible. And I think that's the key word that we all become accessible 
and inclusive and how do we find ways of including people in our lives are very important um so so we've learned that you know we couldn't say bill like uh, what would you like well that right. question will not bring anything so we had to say do you want something and so, and if it brought a yes, then we go to the next page and saying, did you want something to eat or do you want something? So, and it's like, and so I really thank all of those people that have had like limitations or disabilities uh, in helping me to be so creative in communicating with people. So they're my teachers. They're, they're the ones that I look up to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's such a, that's such a good point is that, and, and that's something that I want to talk about as well. Claudia, I know you probably want to jump in on this word conversation, but I also want to put it to you as well, because not all disabilities you can see, right? Especially with your sister who was deaf, you can't necessarily see that. It doesn't, you know, doesn't show. So first of all, what are your thoughts on the words that we're using? And second of all, what are your thoughts around, you know, the disabilities that, you know, maybe we're not seeing? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I love all the responses so far, especially, you know, how we become more inclusive. But, you know, the, the, the question you were asking a person first or identity first, um, I think it's always safe to ask the person how they want to be referred to. Yes. So, you know, in Hallelujah. a... And in a situation where you're not sure, it's, I think it's always best to ask. So for example, my sister, um, how do you want to be referred to as hearing impaired or deaf? She was very clear. She wants to be referred to as deaf. Um, so, you know, different people have different preferences. It is usually a safe default to put the person first, as in, you know, people with uh, cerebral palsy or people with disabilities or a person with diabetes. But, you know, many individuals and groups, you know, prefer to put the disability first, um, emphasizing it as a characteristic that is not separable from their experience. So again, you know, when unsure, just ask. And to the point about, um, invisible or visible, it's so true. I, I would say the majority of disabilities are actually invisible um, or only partly visible. And these can include, you know, physical disabilities, neurodivergent and mental health conditions and other chronic health conditions. So my father had Alzheimer's. Um, he actually died from it after 11 or 12 years. And it's a disease, yes, but it was also a disability for him, and people didn't know it until, you know, they, a lot of people never knew it. He would shake their hands. He had the glint in his eye. He acted like everything was good. Mm -hmm. um, same with my sister. If you were to meet my sister, she lip reads. That is her first language. She does know sign language as well, but her first language is lip reading. And so if you were to see her with me, you would not know that she was deaf until she spoke. And then, of course, her voice is different. And then people wonder, especially little kids wonder, like, why is her voice different? But um, the, there's so many invisible disabilities. And yet when we think about it, 
it is about how do we become a more inclusive society mm-hmm. for all of these visible and invisible disabilities. Yep. Absolutely. And so is she okay when people ask, you know, why is oh, your she voice different? She would much prefer people to ask her. It's a teaching moment. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Sorry, Scott, you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, no, I, Claudia made such a good, such a good point. And, and I think about my own story with sort of, you know, transitioning, if you want to call it that, you know, I was diagnosed at eight with retinitis pigmentosa or RP as, as it's most often called, thankfully for all of us, we don't have to spell it that often. Um, but, um, you know, and at 15, they said I'd be blind by 40, but I played high school sports. I played football in college. Um, so I sort of understood, you know, how people who were not disabled, you know, would view those who were, and, and people many times didn't know, as Claudia said about her sister, many people did not know that I had a visual impairment right? until it got to the point where, frankly, I couldn't hide it anymore, which I tried to do for many years. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting sort of, um, I did not want to be in the blind world, as I called it. Um, I, I just, because of my own ignorances and views about people with disabilities. And so, you know, I had to learn for myself what the capabilities were as I really started to live as a blind individual. And it was, um, you know, it, it creates some interesting, some sad and some pretty funny moments, just to be frank. Yeah, we're, um, <laughs> we're going to get into into yeah. some of those personal experiences. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you're right. Not everybody with disabilities were born with that disability. Some people, you know, came into that disability for a variety of different reasons. And, you know, you do go into it with your own biases and your own ignorances. And it's interesting, right? Because that's, that's what we're here to talk about is what that looks like and what people are actually going through. So let's talk about your personal experiences. Um, If some of you can sort of touch on what it's like in the workplace, um, but also your personal experience as well. Like Victor, I know you're going to be potentially referencing your son. What challenges have you faced? What was your reaction? How did you work to overcome them? Um, And so we want a variety of different perspectives, obviously. Victor, do you want to start? No. (laughs) No? (laughs) I'll ask, let someone else do so that I can, it's my first time being on this podcast. And so uh, I don't know that I was quite prepared. (laughs) Oh, you're totally fine. We are just, Victor, we are just having a conversation. That's what this is all about. It's just sort of talking about personal experiences, bringing your perspective so other people can learn and understand. The only thing I I could say is that, like, through through my years of like uh, being involved, I found that it was always trying to find ways so that we could break down barriers, like so that people could have access to transportation, so that people could have access to an elevator, so that people could get a real paying job. A lot of the students that I've worked with uh, had developmental disabilities and were in in sheltered workshops. And it was just such a terrible system because they were being paid like a dollar a day and to do work that like should have been paid. And then, you know, and, and people would say, well, I'd say, well, can the student leave like on Thursday afternoon, like and early to go to class? And they'd say, well, we want them to develop good working habits. I'd say, but you know, he's been there for 10 years doing right. the same thing. And so, and I said, well, why don't you actually dock his pay 
so that he learns what it means to take time away. And they said, well, we only pay them a dollar a day. We pay oh. their transportation. And it was like, so it, I became quite aware that, you know, we had found a way of like uh, exploiting people uh, who were like, who had the, the developmental disabilities for for gain, like because right. of the product that was being sold in those you know, sheltered workshops, were being sold for real dollars, and so and and I understand it gave people a, a, a place to be, and it was like, but it was an awful setting. It was like a very segregated setting, and so that was my kind of first lesson around disability, and and. You know, at the same time, I had become involved like with uh, as a volunteer around my son, who was not my son at the time, who was just a little boy in a group home that uh, needed help to go to school. But nevertheless, uh, I'm a strong believer that we need to do what it takes to get employers to look at people and, mm -hmm. and pay them real dollars and give them real jobs and, and so that everyone has an opportunity in life. And regardless that is of why, their abilities. Yeah, and that's why we're talking today. And that's why I appreciate your perspective and what you've been through on your journey and what you've seen. Because the only way that we can really educate others and open others' eyes is by talking about what we've seen and what we've heard and what the solutions really are moving forward. Prakash, I want to turn it over to you. I know as a caregiver, you have a little bit of a different perspective, although I would assume that you've faced a lot of challenges or you're your siblings have faced a lot of challenges as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, my siblings don't, aren't in a position where they can go to work, but the challenges are definitely there, uh, especially when you're having that conversation from the viewpoint of, of a caregiver when you're talking to, uh, say, your bosses or your colleagues about disability or why you can't uh, be at a meeting or why you have hardly any sleep the night before. It's these conversations where you suddenly will see them take a step back because they don't know how to respond as opposed to the generic, usual, everyday corporate world conversations. So when we're talking about disability, there is something that I had uh, open heart surgery about five years ago. And within that, having that conversation, so I was effectively disabled for for about a year to 18 months as I was trying to rehabilitate myself. And it was as I was going back into the workforce and having that conversation where people were, were asking what happened. And naturally I'm, I'm still going through rehab physiotherapy at the time. And it's, it's literally breaking it down for, for the people around them, but also telling them, look, I don't want to be treated any different because I'm not different. Just because you can't see what I've gone through does not mean that I'm still disabled or does not mean that I'm any less of a human being than anyone else. So that's from my disabled uh, or my less abled position back then, which is a narrative I created. But in terms of the workforce, it's again, it's having those conversations because as has been mentioned by Claudia and, and some of the others here, it's there's a lot of conversations people want to have, especially around the word disability or how they, uh, they associate with the word but they don't want to have because they're not sure how it's going to come across. And it's, it's having someone in the workforce who is literally going to stand up and just say, look, hey, I'm disabled or I'm able to talk about this is such an icebreaker because then everyone just feels neutralized and they think, okay, we can go, we can have that conversation, especially if the other person's either not going to be reactive to it 
or if the other person is encouraging those conversations, similar to what Claudia had said with, with her sister, who's, who's, if someone asks her a question, you she feels like she's a teacher. So yeah. in a way, you're re-empowering them to say that there is still good in humanity. It's just being able to create that space of conversation where they feel empowered, but the person asking the question also gets a little back. And that's fundamentally what all the conversations that anyone has in the world is all about. And we we normalize the conversation. I did an episode a couple of episodes ago about transgender, and they were talking about how important it is for everybody to use their pronouns, because once everybody uses their pronouns on a variety of different scales, like either on Zoom or social media, we normalize pronouns, which then empower the transgender community to be able to talk about it more because it's normalized and people are, are used to talking about it. Doug, did you want to jump in here? What challenges have you faced? What does that look like in the workforce? Absolutely. Um, I agree, obviously, with what everyone's saying. They're all really good points. And I think society is, it, it may not seem like it um, on some levels, but it has come a long way. You know, the ADA was signed uh, 31 years ago. Um, so I had lost vision, you know, I guess it was about 20 years ago. So <clears throat> it was very difficult because I identified as somebody without a disability. Um, and suddenly, you know, you go from driving a car to not being able to use computer visually in two years that uh, the challenges were seeing your friends and, and colleagues and family, everyone succeeding, and you're trying to, to relearn life, in other words. So back then, there weren't a lot of options. So my focus at Insight is uh, assistive technology or technology in general. Um, the, the rapid involvement and advancement of technology has really brought people with disabilities on a more equal playing ground. But as everyone said, the biggest piece of this is communication mm. and that's we're in a world that is largely non-disabled so uh with the way the culture is also people are afraid to say the wrong thing because yes. there's a high sensitivity um that somebody is going to be criticized or maybe even some litigation unfortunately but so when you when you approach somebody um this is what we tell blind and visually impaired job seekers that when you go to a hiring manager, you know, that hiring manager, people are generally good people. People want to help. So go ahead and say, I know you must have questions. Um, this is how I do work. This is, this is how I've been able to get to where I am and so forth. So you get that out of the way. And another analogy I make is to friends, colleagues, or, or families, you know, that as Sarah, you had mentioned, you know, with the hidden disabilities, I don't know in my company and companies who has a hidden disability and who doesn't. So say somebody has a terrible, terrible back pain and it's, it's, it's so hard for them to work, but they're not saying anything about it. You know, my point to uh, the non-disabled community is, you know, that person doesn't want you to focus on his or her back pain. You know, that that's the first thing you think of, Oh, their back pain. Oh, that, that person has, it's just something that they're handling. And, and so once you get past that, I think everybody's pretty collaborative and everybody wants to do the right thing and wants to help. So it's, it's a big 
communication, um, being open. You know, if you have a workplace that has 90% of the people with disabilities, then the non-disabled, somebody comes in there, they're going to, to feel different. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just, unfortunately, disabilities aren't a huge percentage of society, but I think the more visibility, I use that word a lot, visibility out in the community, out in, in the workplace, that it, it, it becomes less of a spotlight issue and it fades into the background and you just see the person for what they're capable of doing. Yes, we got to strip out the bias. That, that's, uh, I think that's a really, really, really big thing that we need to do across the board, whether it's, you know, disability, whether it's gender, whether it's race, you know, this is why we're talking about diversity and inclusion on all levels, because there's so much bias out there that we have to strip it. But that's going to take some time because a lot of us have been living for a very long time and we've built up that bias for a very long time. But it's conversations like these that start, you know, planting those seeds and breaking down those barriers. Claudia, I want to go to you for your sister um, and for your experiences. What have you seen? What are the challenges that you've seen? Or maybe there's been some positive experiences that you can share. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a little bit of both. So I, I, you know, first of all, the challenges are immense. Um, and I think the point here is that we need to be more inclusive and to look at the culture ad that people with disabilities can bring to our workplace. And I've seen it firsthand. Um, you know, I'll just state that there's a, a, a deaf gentleman that's a, a very great addition to the team uh, doing a lot of IT work and has interpreters. So Google provides the interpreters and there's there's two interpreters because of course the interpreter's hands get tired throughout the day. So it's a very um, thoughtful uh, environment where again, making the accommodations to make sure that that person can bring their best, most authentic work self to, biz to the business and is highly functioning. Um, and so there's, there's lots of great cases, but not enough. We need more pressure on our HR staffing teams to make sure that we have a, a diverse slate of candidates. And that means all kinds of uh, diversity, underrepresented groups, women, et cetera. And then if I think about my sister, yeah, a lot of challenges. A lot of, She's had a lot of challenges getting a job, keeping a job. Um, I think in the deaf community, there's just a lot of, um, unfortunately, um, uh, difficulties in, you know, people living their happiest life. Um, and so, you know, and COVID has been really hard on those with disabilities over this last year and a half. I think about, you know, my sister, she lives alone. She loves social outworks, networks, and this has been very closed for her. So she's, you know, staying home. And, and a lot of times when I would call, um, it was just really difficult. She she was, um, you know, alone. And so the phone calls helped. And of course, we use Google Duo or Google Meet. Mm -hmm. And with Google Meet, you can get closed captioning. Um, so there's, you know, I think Google's developing some tools that help um, people with disabilities. But I, you know, I, I pick on one example. She needed to get a, her new real ID. 
Um, and so she had been dealing with the Department of Motor Vehicles, like she had been there twice and they told her she needed all these documents. And I went there with her when I was there visiting and we got through it like no problem, right? It was done in, in a nanosecond. And so why was it so hard for her to get this done on her own. I mean, that's where people just either were too embarrassed to ask questions or have her write it out or, you know, um, work with her and instead just kind of pushed her off to the side and told her a bunch of things she didn't need to do. It's those kind of things where people don't take the time to really um, assist or understand what it is that that person's trying to do or accomplish. And so all of us need in this world need to be just a little bit more patient, take a little bit more time um, to really understand uh, what's needed and recognize that, you know, COVID was a really, is still a really hard time and especially, you know, doubly hard on those people with disabilities. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. No, that was really, really well put. And thank you for sharing some of those stories because it's through examples and stories that it's really going to be able to translate for different people in different ways for then us to be more aware of what we're doing and how we're doing it and what we're saying and, and, and everything like that. Scott, do you want to share some stories? Do you want to share some challenges? Sure. Do you want to share some positives? Give us sure. a little bit of both if you can. I'd be happy to. Um, you know, Claudia mentioning the Department of Motor Vehicles uh, reminded me um, on two occasions, my wife has been pulled over by police in our minivan um, because my name happened to be on the car registration. And uh, because of not having a driver's license, it says that my license is permanently revoked. Oh, <laughs> I have a state ID, but not a not in a driver's license, of course. And so it says permanently revoked. And so the the you know police pulled to see who was driving this vehicle where the owner had their license permanently revoked. So um, you know there are some some things just sort of institutionally or institutionalized that that happened to us as well. But you know the the processes that are in place. I work with a lot of um, commercial partners and and companies as we're. Um, attempting to find opportunities and, and obtain opportunities for people who are visually impaired and blind um, for employment. And, you know, I will have HR individuals and, and people that I'm working with at, at these uh, organizations will say things to me like, we would really like to hire some disabled people, but none seem to apply. And so we'll have a conversation about that. Well, tell me about your process for your applications. Um, you know, sometimes it's the websites. They're very hard to navigate. There's lots of reasons um, for sort of why things can be the way that they are. Um, myself, you know, growing up as a, a teenager and sort of first jobs and those kinds of things, I still had enough vision that I could uh, act as if I wasn't visually impaired and, and kind of try to hide it, which is what I, I did most of the time. Um, getting out of college as my vision deteriorated and I really had to figure some things out. Uh, I ended up being with a, a Fortune 100 company, and I ended up having to leave that job because at the time, and this was uh, the late 90s, um, they were changing computer systems. They were moving from a DOS system, really, uh, where I could name the page, to a Windows-based system, pastel colors and all kinds of things. And I worked through the IT department and HR, and uh, they told me there was nothing they could do. 
they couldn't do anything with, with that computer, you know, so that I could uh, continue to work there. Um, and so I left that job and my wife and I had actually started our own business that it thankfully grew and, and was something where I could, could do that myself. And now being in a position where um, I'm promoting sort of the benefits of hiring people who are uh, disabled and in this case specifically blind, what I run into often, often now is um, when, we, when people are sort of, you take things off the table and people are disarmed about disability, right? You can have a frank conversation about it. I'll have people say something to me along the lines of, I know it's the right thing to do, but tell me what are the what are the benefits? What are the tangible benefits to our company for hiring people who are who are blind? And so wow. I get to have a really good conversation because many people do feel like I, I, I jokingly sometimes say we've done a really good job of making people feel guilty. We just you know don't always move the needle the way we want to. People think they should hire people who are disabled. <laughs> They're just not sure about the reality of it sometimes, and they and they don't verbalize that unless we and someone had mentioned it here. Unless we bring it up and sort of say, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask. And I'll tell uh, people that ask me that question, uh, sure, it's the right thing to do. I mean, if we want to say that. But beyond that, your disabled employees are often the most loyal employees you're going to have. They are often, you know, we have found at Alpha Point through this COVID time, I mean, our, our blind employees have come to work at a much higher percentage than our sighted employees. Hmm. Um, uh, even with transportation challenges and other things, because when people have earned an opportunity, they don't want to give that up easily. Um, and so there are some statistics out there about people with disabilities, when they lose a job, a very high percentage do not find another one. Right. And so you don't want to let that go. And, but I tell people, you know, it's, it's less about it being the right thing to do, quote unquote, than it is, and I think it was Claudia that may have mentioned, the culture and how, how it's affected how other employees view the hiring of individuals who, you know, they see with a disability, um, how customers view the commitment to hire people who have disabilities. There are a lot of benefits, not to mention the skill set. And I, I continue to say it is the biggest untapped labor market, uh, certainly in the United States, are people with disabilities. Um, the amount of talent that frankly is on the sidelines because of some of these um, sort of viewpoints or, or where we've where we've been. That's my hope is that we can start to, to move that needle in larger numbers. Uh, we certainly tell the stories case by case, but as we move that needle, it needs to be in larger numbers. So do you shake your head when you hear the words labor shortage or talent? <laughs> like I, that, I do we because can't find enough talent. Yeah. I do because I, I think about it and we go, I go back to the accessibility word or accessible that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, making things accessible so that someone who, who needs that technology and someone else here had mentioned technology. Technology is such a game changer um, for me. You know, I use a screen reader. So my, my screen reads everything to me. Um, and, and, and most of the time, that's great. Well, I can tell you when I have a website that hasn't been tagged properly or things haven't been done right. the, the way I need them to be. But that technology is such a game changer. And it, and it allows individuals with incredible skills. I know Google uh, has, has programs specifically, and they're doing a tremendous job. People that have these skills and the ability to do the jobs that are out there, it literally is just a matter of, of matching up. And, and I know Doug and his team are, are doing a great job of that. So there are things being done. I, I just, I do shake my head at that, Sarah. 
Well, and I think about COVID and what Claudia was saying and how difficult it has been, but it must have opened up opportunities by working remotely, which I would assume would benefit the disabled community. Doug? Absolutely. You know, it's the last two years, it's hard to find a silver lining, all of us, you know, for what we've had to endure. Um, Claudia had mentioned, you know, um, with the, the face masks and people with hearing impairment or uh, people who are deaf, being unable to read lips. Um, I know for people who are blind, and Scott can certainly relate to this, you know, when you're when you're at a grocery store or you're somewhere else, it's hard to stay six feet <laughs> from right. somebody who's kind of running away. Just a short story. I I um I had a medical emergency last June and I had to had to go to Walgreens. And they had taped the floor, you know, where it was one-way traffic and everything else. And I'm running down to get to the pharmacy for my follow-up prescription. And people are running away from me because I'm trying to find the pharmacy. But so those challenges, you know, those are the physical kind of with COVID. But to your point, the technology piece. So as Scott again knows, um, you know, we, we pull from all over the country. So there are scores of people now for blindness, the, the not working uh, percentage that's estimated is nearly 70% of people who are blind are not working. And I would argue that 30% who are, the majority of those folks are probably underemployed. But what it's allowed to do is we have numerous examples of people, again, usually not all the time, but a lot of times you're losing vision. Maybe you had a career, you're starting over, you have a family, you have a location, you're in the rural country, you're, you know, you're in the middle of the, of the U.S. somewhere, you're not near transportation. So the companies, because of COVID, are having their hands forced to include everybody through amazing things like Zoom and Google Meet and, th- and technology like that, where their systems now have to be uh, tapped into from people who can work from home. So for uh, people with disabilities who have a hard time maybe getting a lift van, maybe finding uh, an arrangement to, mm-hmm. to get to their office can actually work from home. They get to have their own technology that, that they're comfortable with or, or used to, or maybe even own. And uh, kind of the follow on what Scott said earlier too, is a big perception that we see in the corporate sector uh, is People don't know what they don't know, and that's totally understandable. So the old, the old uh, model was: this is going to cost us a fortune for this one employee. Well, that may have been true 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but this technology is so advanced now that it's embedded in so many systems that companies like Google, some of the bigger companies, they're actually putting engineers in on the front end of design now to to make sure that, hey, when you're building this technology out, don't forget people who can't type, people who can't hear, people who can't see, people who have cognitive impairments, you know, uh, print disabilities like um, dyslexia. So that does open a, a huge opportunity uh, with the remote workforce because people can stay home, they can take care of the family, don't have to sell the house, they don't have to move to a new yeah. school district. And so, um, you know, for all the bad that we've faced, and, and we're still kind of in the, 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 the midst of all of this, um, I really do see a brighter future with, with the opportunities for remote work. So I do shake my head wondering, why are all these jobs open? 
Exactly. Exactly. People need to call Doug. Need to give Doug a call. Um, but one yes, other especially thing, companies. Yeah, exactly. Right. But one other thing that Scott mentioned was when somebody came to you and said, I want to hire more disabled people. Okay, first of all, I mean, I don't even know if that's the right thing to say. Second of all, <laughs> what do we think of these policies that companies are coming out with that are saying, I need to hire X number of, you know, people in different races and dis disabled people. Like, what do we think about this? Because it, it, I mean, it's nice, I guess, for them to be thinking about it, putting a quota on it. I don't know. I think we just need to be more inclusive, but that's just me. Um, who wants to, who wants to take a stab at that one? Anybody? I'll, I'll start Go off. <laughs> Go ahead. I think um, the key thing is holding leadership accountable um, for ensuring that we have representation of all underrepresented groups um, in the workforce. And what we know is that it's not just about diversity, race, and gender, and, and disability. It's, it's the culture ad that you get by adding people of different backgrounds, people of different abilities, that you get a stronger, richer, high-performing team. And yes, there's some teaching moments and some awareness uh, break, breakings that, that need to continue to be done. I guess the concern that I have is that people, we, the research shows, people tend to hire people like themselves. Yeah. So how do you break that? Um, well, a lot of companies set targets, right? I mean, if, if you can have a target and make a target, it, it um, does start to produce the results that you want. So I'm... I'm kind of borderline on targets, but I do I do think there's a lot of goodness that comes from targets in that you you hold leadership accountable and you train and bring awareness to your workforce so that they um, you know, change is hard, right? And and again, if they're used to hiring people that look like themselves and act like themselves, it's something that has to be untrained and changed from a cultural perspective. And so I do believe that there has to be a heightened awareness of the need to make sure that we have a workforce that is representative of all. Yeah, yeah I do agree with that. And that's the people standpoint. What about the company and the structure itself, Prakash? I mean, you're a caregiver. And yes, your your siblings don't necessarily work. But I'm sure they go into buildings and they have to go to different places that might not be accessible. So what do organizations need to think about from that kind of perspective, like accessible bathrooms or, you know, signage or different things like that? I think it's a combination of both of those, but it's also exactly what we're doing today, having those conversations. The more we have these conversations in different industries and in different areas with different people, the more we can start, in a way, normalizing these conversations. And that eventually will be taken into the workforce, especially if you have it, say, during an interview. Uh, and just being able to create that space that, okay, the company is looking to create uh, a more inclusive 
DNA structure or a strategy? How do we then take it forward? Now, if you have someone who's got, uh, I hate using the word disability, who's who's more more able or who's more connected to that remit of what you're trying to create, it's going to be able to allow the company that bit more authenticness when creating a proper structure rather than structuring it from, okay, we think they may need this or we think they may, may need that, which is great. But actually having an employee or having uh, connections with people who, who are moving in the same line of what you're trying to create is always going to be far better because they're going to be authentic. They're going to tell you exactly that maybe the pavement isn't, uh, isn't accessible enough. I know there's various offices that I've gone into where you have to take a step up into the office or the lift is maybe too narrow and you can't get a wheelchair in it or uh, you have to go through a security bus, but you you have to tap on the side. Now, unless you have someone there who's going to be able to guide you or who already has an understanding of it, then no one's going to really care because they're just going to sit on the side and it's going to be exactly like, say, your bathrooms that you have in, in some restaurants where it's there for everyone and you're looking at every one rather than looking at a very specific strategy which you have in place, which is for your DNI. So it's it's encouraging everyone. And I know there's uh, a place in uh, Curacao where they specifically have taken that concept. They've employed someone who's got a disability and said, we're a small restaurant, but we want to be inclusive of everyone, whatever their, their background and their ability may be. And because they've got the usual uh, spaces, the car parking spaces for the, the people who need extra space, but they've also got accessible tables, they've got accessible rampage, they've also got accessible bathrooms, which should be normal in every industry and yeah. in every organization. But because of that, so many people are now going to that business because it's inclusive and it's just easy rather than going to the organization, oh, we can't come here, what, because we can't get in through the front door or maybe they'll have rotating doors rather than the opening doors. And it's these small little tweaks that have such a big difference. I know in, in an organization I used to work with that they refused to have it because it was a cost implication. But at the same time, they wanted to create something to be different, a trendsetter, but also inclusive. Now, there's a very fine line between the two. So what exactly... It's a driving force. Is it being profitable? Yes, which every business does. But at the same time, is that taking you away from the actual narrative of what the ethos of the company is? Now, if your ethos is to be diverse, inclusive, welcoming of any person from whatever race, background, ability they may be, to be able to do the job that they want to be in this question, supply chain then step away from that profit because as Scott has mentioned and, and Doug and also Claudia, that sometimes these people can give you a very different viewpoint. And that could be the viewpoint, which is the hook in business that, okay, we've got that, now let's maximize it because that through that is where your profit potentially can come. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a really good point. But the other thing that kind of went through my mind too was that question back to Scott was hire, I want to hire more disabled people. And so not only do we have to think about it from a cultural, cultural perspective, if you're going to invite them in for an interview, 
it needs to be accessible. And how do you expect them to get there? Or because of COVID, things are going more remote and maybe you make it so that the interview can be remote and it can be on Zoom and maybe you do it three times instead of twice, who knows, but you're able to move things around and change things so that you can be accommodating and inclusive. Victor, I wanna go to you because we haven't heard from you in a little bit. I just wanna ask you, you know, cause you've been, you've been involved in many different aspects around disability. Um, and so how do companies learn about hiring people with disabilities? There, I'm guessing there's a bunch of organizations <laughs> they can go to, or what? What can they Google, right? Well, I, I remember, like, um, oh, about 15 years ago, I had a, a colleague who uh, used a wheelchair, and, uh, and and it was electric wheelchair, and she was being interviewed in her job at the at the Ministry of Education, and so you know they were all like, you know, who who da like about like her working there. And she basically told them, she says, the only difference between myself and you is that I don't need to get up from my chair to go from here to there. I just stay in my chair to get there. Right. She says, so like, I don't know what the big deal is all about. You know, it's like, and, and that was such a good answer. I always remember that. But I want to share something about uh, accessibility. And it's like, when I first uh, adopted Bill, I wanted him to go to a regular school. And at that time, a child like Bill did not go into a regular school. Right. So they had special schools. And so when I went to visit the school, it was a segregated school. It was the most accessible school you could ever see. You know, it had like ramps, it had elevators, it had like everything was there, but there was no inclusion happening there. You know, mm -hmm. it's like so. And finally, we I fought hard, fought hard, and they put him into a school that had, it was a two story school. But the principal, and it's like, and the reason I'm saying that is because it's a, it's a mind frame. The pin yeah. principle was determined to make it work. And so they actually, Bill was there from grade three to grade eight. And what they did is they moved the grade three to the, the, the main floor and then the grade four main, they remained in that same classroom so that he could be like going to school with his, with his uh, colleagues. And so the lesson here is like, you actually need to educate people about inclusion. You like accessibility, you can have an accessible washroom, but it doesn't mean that people are welcoming people. Yeah. That's you know, so it's true. about welcoming people. And that's what's really important. And now I'm going to kind of go to my native roots a little bit and say, you know, each individual, each one of us, it took generations and generations of our grandparents meeting at the right time and 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 to to make love and so that like your great grandfather was born your great grandmother was born and all of those people to make you who you are and who and how special you are and when we forget that each individual in the world is that special then we're losing out and so including people who are different or have different abilities is like they're not only losing out we're losing out and so, and that's an important factor in including, including people. Again, like I'll go back to like when Bill was the first time in grade three, I remember the teacher meeting her and she was a fairly big lady who sat like, and she looked even bigger because she sat on a child's chair in her classroom. And so we were meeting and she was very nervous about him coming into the classroom. And so 
And, and she said, well, what if he screams? What if he does? And it's just like, trust me, like he won't scream and we'll be fine. And I'll, I'll help you. I'm here. I'll help you. And so then later on in March, like she had been going to school and Bill just absolutely loved school. Like when, when Christmas time came, he was upset because he couldn't go to school. Mm -hmm. When March break came, he was upset because he couldn't go to school. <laughs> so nevertheless, we, we met, the, the, the team met again, and I, want, I was sharing how happy my son was. And the teacher said, well, I'd like to say something here. She says, I've been a teacher for 30 years. And she says, this is the first time in 30 years I've ever had a classroom that had the true, true meaning of community. She wow. said, Bill brought that out in all the students. She says, my bullies became his advocates. <gasps> you know, and she says, like, and so she said, this was such an amazing discovery for everyone. And so, and what I had done at the time is I had gone at the beginning of the year into the classroom and I said, this is my son, Bill. He can't talk. Can you pretend now that all of you can't talk? And so they all, you know, waved their heads and I said, no, and you can't do that either. And so then I said, now I have $5 in my pocket and I'd like to give it to someone who would like it. And all their hands went up. And I said, oh, if you were Bill, you couldn't do that either. Mm -hmm. And so you saw their little brains going at it, right? And so then my next question was, and that's what we need to do with everyone. My next question was, if you were Bill, what would you want your classmates to do to help you to fit into this classroom? And bang, all the answers came through from the kids and not from the teachers and not from the Amazing. teachers. You know, and so Amazing. it was very successful. What an amazing advocate you are, Victor. And there's always one person in every one of these episodes that succeed in making me cry. And you were that person today because that was such a beautiful story. And I'm so glad that you shared that. Prakash, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I did. Victor, an amazing share and definitely a conversation I want to hear more about and his story. But something that came up for me during Victor's share is that Again, it's it's these conversations. So I, my sister a couple of years ago fractured fractured a, a femur, and post surgery, post recovery, the physiotherapist came in and said, "Right, she has to walk, and the more we rehabilitate her, then she can go home." She's nonverbal. She is not going to move for anyone. And when I say stubborn, it's on a whole new level, and understandably. <laughs> Because even for us, people who are communicative, who are able to communicate and understand, when we're in that hospital environment, it's uncomfortable. So we couldn't understand what it's, it's like for her. But because they were relatively new physiotherapists and freshly trained, they couldn't understand why she wouldn't walk. So they were trying to get her up, trying to prop her up again. She was having none of it. And it's these conversations where I turned around and said, look, if you want her to walk, she's not going out of the hospital. She'll be here for the next 10, 15 years. And they said, but she can't. And I said, she's in the wrong environment. So again, it's, it's going back to what we discussed earlier. It's creating that environment, creating that, that safe space where people can talk, but also be free to just be who they are. Yeah. So fast forwarding five days of, of constantly, the physiotherapist not really getting it, we had to literally say, look, let her come home. You want to come home and do the physio at home? You can do, but it's never going to work here. 
because she's scared. She's in an unfamiliar environment. She's around people she has no idea about. And the same goes for my brother. I mean, he's more expressive, so to speak, and he'll he'll uh, go along with it. But for her, she's she's very uh, introverted in herself, likes her set space, and anything outside of that offsets her. And it it took a lot of time to actually really get into their heads and say, it's not going to work. You can try any apparatus you can. They yeah. brought in different consultants from different backgrounds and everything. It, she just was not having any of it. Mm-hmm. And it was only after bringing her home within about three or four weeks, she was pretty much walking again. Whereas so, if she stayed in the hospital, it would never have happened. Yeah. And I, so I think one of the, the important points from what you and Victor just shared is that yes, you know, it's about accessibility. It's about culture and making sure the mindset is there because even if you've got the structure, you know, if the mindset and the culture is there, isn't there, then it doesn't make any difference. And then third, I think to bring to this conversation is environment and the environment that they're going to be in potentially on a day-to-day basis or maybe remotely. What does that environment look like? What do they need? What can we provide? What does that have to look like for them to feel comfortable and to, to be their best selves, right? Scott, do you, do you have anything to share as far as solutions? What should organizations, companies, people, you know, look to, um, to really embrace inclus- inclusiveness um, and to include people who have disabilities? You know, I, I think it's, as I reflect on some of the things that have, that have been said here, it's bits and pieces of a lot of these things, I think, that, that come together. You know, I, I've told people more than once that, that my reality, and that's really all I can speak to as, you know, someone who's blind is, you know, I am a person who can't see who's living in a world that has generally generally been set up for people who can. Yeah. And the same can be said for other, you know, for for other disabilities as well is that in general our the world society has been set up for people who do not have, you know, those limitations or whatever you you want what whatever word you want to use. So I think that um and again someone else has has mentioned it that made me think of this is you know, I've been in buildings that were new and they were, they tried so hard to be um, accessible and all those things. And, and, and they, um, they were uh, really, but the people weren't prepared. <laughs> they weren't trained um, for interacting with individuals who may have special needs of, of some sort. And then I've been in buildings that were older and weren't really necessarily physically set up the way they needed to be, but they had done a really good job of training people. I traveled a lot before COVID for work and, you know, I'd be in a hotel and, and you could tell that people understood how to sort of assist someone, what to do, what not to do. Same for airports, same for, you know, I've, and then I've been in places where people would try to push me from behind, you know, put their hand on my back to guide me, that kind of thing to help me. And I was like, that's not going to work, you know, um, or, you know, I'd have a, a flight attendant say, you know, in case of an emergency, stay seated and I'll come get you. You know, and I would say things like, uh, if there's an emergency, you will not find me in this seat. You know, I'm I'm out of here. Um, as long as I have my cane, you know, have cane will travel. Um, so I, I think part of that is an understanding, but it starts with a willingness. It's a, it's a willingness to to understand and to accept, sort of meet people where they are. Yes. Um, not try to make people something that 
that they're not, or, or it's, it's that willingness first. And I think whether it's companies or it's individuals, um, organizations of any type, uh, it, it's not necessarily sort of um, humoring someone or, or, or sort of uh, patron, as patronizing, I think is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, it's a matter of being honest. It's a matter of being open and willing to learn and then, and then accepting that person for who they are and valuing them for the skills that they bring to the table for, for just who they are as an individual and what you can learn from them and with them, because we can all learn from each other. So I think that that for me is a, is a big piece of it is um, where we go from here in terms of being open. And there are some logistics we have to do, right? I mean, we have to have the accessibility of, of websites. We have to have the accessibility of physical locations. Those things are just sort of a given, really, that that has to be there. Um, but beyond that, it's that person-to-person interaction. Uh, and look, I make assumptions about other people all the time. I think we all do it. We, we make assumptions on some level about what this person can or cannot do or who they are or who they are not. But as you get to know a person and learn about them, I think those perspectives often change. It's just that in our world today, we don't always have time for that to happen. Yeah. And so we make those snap judgments about people. Um and, and and so I think as we start to sort of change the mindset or change the outlook, um, and hopefully, and I believe that is happening now. Doug mentioned earlier, I, I am optimistic about what things look like. I think right now, frankly, in the world today, or I can speak to the United States, is I think we're at a time when people are really open to this, to open to hearing um, the stories, to hearing what people's abilities are and not just what the disability might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm excited, frankly, about, about the opportunities that we have in front of us. Awesome. Thank you for that, Scott. Claudia, do you want to jump in here and maybe talk about how organizations, maybe what they could walk away with from this conversation tangibly to put into place to really be a more inclusive environment? Sure. Yeah, thanks. I th- I, and you've heard it before, but let me recap. So don't make assumptions you know, maintain an open mind about, you know, what a person with a disability can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. Let let them determine their own capabilities. And also some disabilities are variable. So their capabilities may be different from one day to the next. But I think speaking to the audience, I'd say today is about taking action. So a healthy tree bears fruit. So be committed to being a learner learn about people with disabilities and through their experiences, feed your curiosity, position yourself as a student, expand the ways you process information with diverse perspectives and be an ally to ensure that we have workplaces that work for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and some advocacy too, right? I think. Within an organization, if you are going to include people with disabilities, there's going to have to be advocacies and advocacy and people within that organization that can really understand and be a champion if needed, because they might not be needed, but if needed, right? But talk to those people and see what they need uh, to make that environment um, right for them to be their best selves. So, Doug, I'm going to end with you on this one as far as solutions and what companies need to do because this is what you do. Absolutely. And these are all really excellent comments because they cover so many areas. 
<clears throat> and um, in addition to the to the questions of what to do, so we've tackled the, the physical access. Um, I, I'm in a fortunate position because um, going back to kind of personal stories. So after dozens and dozens of resumes and in-person interviews with CEOs who had no perspective of disabilities but wanted to do the right thing, I can uh, remember one example of. I really appreciated the CEO's honesty because we went out to lunch or dinner, I guess it was, and he just he said my first question was how do you even use a computer, and I didn't. I, I appreciated his honesty because, and I didn't yeah. hold it against him, obviously. So the way I see it is the reason I'm lucky is with our, our parent company, National Industry for the Blind and Insight. So it starts from the top down. So we're, we're both, Insight's very small, but we're, we have leadership that, that gets it. So at the, at the C-suite and below that, it starts with the top down with a smaller company. Now with like a, a Wall Street in, uh, investment firm or some, you know, an international multinational corporation with tens and tens of thousands of people, that's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be like turning a ship uh, for all of these conversations. But if you get people early enough, so get that onboard, you know, on the onboarding process and, and maybe some of the lower levels that as these people, as these executives or professionals rise, then it's going to hit to the top and, and those, that culture and atmosphere is gonna trickle down to the rest of the company. So I, I really see a potential for that. Um, again, like at NIB, we, we built a new building, we hired a, a professional architect, Chris County, who happened to lose his vision at, later in life. And he designed our building with, in fact, on the roof, we have uh, artificial turf, a dog, uh, a trash can, basically, so people can take their dogs up, up on the roof and, and relieve them because they don't have to cross the street and things like that. So going, going that extra, extra step and that, again, this is, this is a dealing with blindness and, and I understand that companies need to, to address all of, all of the other categories, but, but understanding that, okay, Diversity means race, color, gender, um, religion, disability, and, and so forth. And yes, sometimes disability gets left off of that. But when you when you just kind of chunk down and look at each one and have a strategy, and again, a, a culture of inclusion and acceptance, it really uh, that those so-called labels really again. They get blended like this. The podcast is named Blended. So when everything's mixed together, it looks like a cohesive unit. You're not looking at individual particles of a solution. You're looking at, at a blend. So it's it's that kind of attitude. I know Scott and I, you know, um, we don't care what people's skin color are. I mean, it's that that is the, the last thing that we even think about. But we understand that in society and in some areas that that is is a is a neat, you know, that's recognized and that's understood and that's a pain point for a lot of people. So again, I think it's it's good to have a, a goal for a target. I don't know about a particular number that people feel like they need to make a metric, uh, you know, endpoint for that. But uh, I, I think it's it's that everybody mentioned it here. It's it's the understanding that society is rapidly changing. We have all of these new avenues and remote work and everything else that as long as people are open 
to getting different perspectives. And I think Victor Parker said that, that it was um, the, the knowledge that you learn from other people, like for instance, people with hearing impairment, physical impairment, vision impairments, they really are resilient work, resilient people mm -hmm. who don't have disabilities sometimes might complain about something and then they see somebody really working hard to, who has a disability to, to, to be able to keep pace and in some cases excel past somebody without a disability that it helps them. It, it helps put their lives in perspective that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be complaining about yeah. this uh, position that I'm in that, that I'm, you know, don't feel like I'm being heard. Maybe, absolutely. maybe I should look at that a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Doug. So I don't really want to wind down this question, this, this, this conversation, because I feel like we could talk about this for hours. I mean, there's so much great information here and each one of you has shared so authentically and really provided valuable information. So what I want each of you to do is summarize so I'm going to go to each of you and maybe just in one word or a couple of different words, sum up what you think, or maybe one takeaway that the audience should leave this discussion with. Prakash, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> I was hoping you would. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> maybe as a give up. I mean, for me, the, the one takeaway is, and it's something which... I definitely stand for it. Don't be scared to have that conversation and just ask the question because there's nothing wrong in it. It's it's only the narrative that you think it's wrong. And you never know, as, as we've discussed today, out of asking that question, you learn something that even if it changed your mindset two or three percent, mm -hmm. that's still two or three percent better than the day before. And if you keep yeah. doing that, you're definitely going to grow. And I think that that's something which everyone here is uh eloquently highlighted in their own individual way. Awesome. Thank you for that, Prakash. Victor, you're next. Well, <clears throat> one of the things I'd say is that empowerment, you know, don't be afraid to step down and empower the, the, the person and the person with a disability to be themselves and, and to shine. Um, and I wanted to leave a little funny story. I had a, a, a gentleman who had cerebral palsy and who had a speech impediment. And he was just coming out of the hospital and he was like, you know, he had a, a doctor's appointment and he had made it finally to the sidewalk and he would push himself backwards. And so a person walked by, an individual walked by and saw him that he was struggling. And so he pushed him back oh, no. up to the hospital <laughs> because he never asked. He just assumed that you know, he belonged in that hospital and he was like, you know, moving in his chair, trying to stop him. And he just thought, well, you know, that's who he is. And, and finally, when he got to the top, he, he finally screamed out, like, stop. It took me 15 minutes to make it down the, the sidewalk. Anyway. Wow. The point of that is, you know, just ask. Yeah. Don't assume, don't assume don't anything. Assume, exactly. Absolutely. Claudia, what's the one takeaway? Awareness. Awareness comes first, sharing your experiences and then having courageous conversations and constant learning. And just be an ally, you know, be an advocate uh, for people with disabilities and ensure that, again, that we build a workplace that works for all. Thank Absolutely. You. I love that. Uh, Doug, what's one takeaway you'd like people to walk away from this discussion with? Um, I guess it would be 
for the employers of the world, um, it's hard to put into words, but I, I guess I would say with diversity comes opportunity. Um, you're not only providing opportunity for somebody who, uh, and I, we have examples of this in our own company where somebody asked their girlfriend after they got a job to marry, marry them and they bought their first house, they're now taxpayer, taxpayers. And that's, it's so fulfilling for them, but also, and it doesn't have to be a dis disability, obviously with, um, with, with gender, race, and, and the other categories, the more diverse you are, the more you're, the, the more creative and ideas you're going to have and the more opportunities you're going to have to reach out to whoever your stakeholders are. Um, because as was mentioned earlier, I think Claudia was, was talking or maybe um, you were saying that, you know, when, when, you're, when you're around the same type of people, sometimes it gets a little, a little stagnant where you're where you're not really thinking outside the box so getting people of all cultures all races all, all abilities together that's kind of the way the world is mapped as it is i mean that's yeah. the most successful societies are the ones that include everyone because you never know where your next albert einstein is you never know where your next uh, marie curie is it's Absolutely. so so those it, it's it's a lost opportunity if you're not exploring every every cracking crevice of, of human culture that we have. I love that. Thank you, Doug. And last but absolutely not least, Scott, what would you like people to leave the discussion with today? Um, you know, I would, I would just say that your future, you know, be you an, an organization, a family, an individual, your future will be brighter and better uh, when you find ways to engage with and to include people with disabilities um, in what you do. And um, so for me, that's, that's really the key is that it's not just, you know, sort of the right thing to do, or it's this, um, you're just going to kind of uh, feel it. it. It it truly is your, your life will be better. Your organization will be better. You will learn and you will grow. And um, by including individuals who, who aren't like you, including people who have disabilities. Absolutely. So thank you so much to Claudia, Scott, Prakash, Doug, and Victor for joining me today. It's been another eye-opening and inspirational discussion. I think it has highlighted that there's still a lot of work to be done, not just in helping people with disabilities to thrive in the workplace, but in education as well, so that people can really understand the varying challenges people with disabilities face, and that the importance of treating people as individuals. But as always, conversations Conversations like this are great. They're open, authentic. No one is scared to ask a question or make a mistake. So if you're not sure how to broach the subject in your own business, you're scared of getting it wrong, I encourage you to play this podcast to your team. Set up a meeting, listen to it, and discuss. It will give you the perfect jumping off point. And don't forget that you can always reach out to me on social media if you have any questions or want to talk about the topic further. You can also find all of our guests on LinkedIn as well. Thanks again to our sponsors, Apex and Ships, for helping make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for us. And don't forget to join us again next time for episode 14 of Blended, when we'll be tackling more key issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality with honesty, humor, and more importantly, passion. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today. Thanks, Sarah. Thank, Thank you. you.